This episode of the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast is brought to you by... Once there was a civilization, much like ours, but with a greater intelligence, greater powers, and a greater understanding of how to use nipples to see the future. In one tragic moment, that world was destroyed. But there was one survivor, because of the wisdom and compassion of Joe Murray, because he knew the human race had the capacity for being really big, he sent us his only son. The world will know him as Really Really Big Man. He's Really Really Big Man! This summer, you will believe a man can be really, really big. I got nothing else to live for. I just don't know what to do anymore. Look out! Remember, big is good. Kids, don't try this at home. Never coming soon to a theater near no one. Nick, 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 Nickelodeon. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Hector Navarro. I'm your host, and we're here at the EW Pop Fest. That's Entertainment Weekly Pop Fest. My guest today is an animator, an illustrator, a writer, a director, a producer, a voice actor, known for creating Camp Laszlo for Cartoon Network and Rocco's Modern Life for Nickelodeon in 1993. Rocco's Modern Life went on to influence the style and humor and tone of so many Nickelodeon shows since then. And for that, we're able to thank Mr. Joe Murray, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, welcome. How you doing? I'm good. I'm okay, good. great. <laughs> um, I'm a huge fan of your work. Camp Lazo was fantastic. You've got a great fan base there. And Rocco's Modern Life, like I just mentioned in the intro, hugely influential. So right off the bat, I want to ask, what has it been like for you to see the creative people that you worked with on Rocco, to see them go on and create and influence so many different things in the world of animation and Nickelodeon? I, yeah, I'm asked that question a lot about how, how it turned out that so many people from my crew ended up going off and, you know, I had the Steve Hillenbergs and mm-hmm. Doug Lawrence's and it's uh, really when it came time to do Rocco, there was an enormous group of people that were just aching to do something that stretched it, you know, that did something different. And and they flocked to the project, which I was very lucky and I was able to handpick a crew that... Uh, all wanted to do something different, so it's 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 no no surprise that that they would go off and do something on their own because each one of them and the way that Rocco was structured too is that uh, I tried to give them as much autonomy for their own vision of of Rocco uh, to do so they were able to flex their muscle to to do storytelling visually to do to do some of their own directing and their own writing and they were able to carry a lot of that over into the projects yeah. so uh, it was a dream team crew That's it awesome. really was so. it sounds like you're a good boss is what it sounds like because you're able <laughs> to like let creative people do the creative thing they're doing you have to uh, ask them I don't know yeah. <laughs> anybody here? no she's Just, not here so how good of a boss was I? I don't know <laughs> We don't want to see that Joe Murray again. <laughs> uh, just in case people aren't aware, you mentioned Steve Hillenberg, uh, Doug Lawrence. Those guys went on on SpongeBob SquarePants. Tom Kenny, obviously. Tom Kenny was a guy who I believe the first time he was doing voice acting, was it on Rocco? Was that the yes. first major thing? How did that happen? Were you guys aware of his stand-up? Or did he just sort of audition and it kind of go from there? 
I was aware of his stand-up. Yeah. And and Carlos Alzaraki was also a stand-up. And yeah. and he it was his first voice gig as well. So uh, I I really wanted to bring people to the party that was not just going to be you know just a, a specific you know voice actor. I right. wanted them to be able to bring in things ad lib. We did a lot of a lot of things that were. Uh, off the cuff, and and these guys would really spoof on each other, and really get the energy going. We we recorded ensemble, which has meant everybody was in the room, including me, and they would just go off on the weirdest stuff, and we would keep some of it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that whole thing in uh, Fish and Chumps, where uh, Tom Kenny goes off on uh, all the monkeys had lockers. He said Davy Jones had locker, and Mickey Dolenz and Peter Tork, they all had lockers. And that was all. That was all Tom. That was all yeah. Tom just going off on his own thing, and we just kept it in. We were taking on so much water that the bilge rats were packing their ditty bags and jumping over the side. I had me right hand on the helm and me left hand on the mainstay. Me left foot on the captain, me other foot working the bilge pump, and me eyeballs were stirring the galley stew. That's when I heard a thunderous clap so loud it would have driven any land number to his knees in agony. I turned leeward in time to witness the foresail yardarm give way and come crashing down square on me midshipman's hindquarters. He let out a scream that be heard in Davy Jones' locker, Mickey Dolan's locker too, and Peter Tork's locker. All the monkeys had lockers. I so they were all bringing something in, and they would, and you know, sometimes we would be writing and recording. Actually, they did that in this last record when we did when we were doing the special. They said, you know, I'm thinking maybe this line should be this way. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, I, I can see that. Let's record it that way. Very collaborative. Uh, so they were able to to come in and bring their best yeah. with it. Charlie Adler came in, who's who was a, a veteran at the time, mm-hmm. and did the bi- the big hats, and and uh, <laughs> and he would kind of teach the other guys. How That's to do great. stuff, which which is kind of the model too of the whole Rocco crew because we had some veterans in there and we had a lot of new people and yeah. so everybody taught each other. A lot of rookies, yeah. yeah. When you look and see again, talking about some of that success, a guy like Chris Savino started on Rocco and now he is heading a really popular show called The Loud House at Nickelodeon. Every time you see one of your crew have some sort of success, have you gone like this? Yes, yes. That's my guy. That's my guy. Do you feel that way at all? Do you feel a little bit responsible? Or? A little bit. I, yeah. I feel paternal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know, but you don't want to say, I mean, they all go off and do their own thing. And, and yeah. yeah, they worked on Rocco, but, and they've got a lot of history of, of experience going on between, the, you know, in the last 20 years. So yeah, it's absolutely. Like, I've got that Rocco experience, so I must be able to do a show now. It's not like Joe, Joe you're a class act. I just gave you the opportunity to take credit for all of that success. <laughs> and you didn't do it. What a class act. That's great. <laughs> Rocco's Modern Life. One of my favorite things about the history and the, the sort of urban legends of Rocco that you've talked about is that to you the show flew under the radar and in case people aren't aware of how cartoons are produced and exactly how that works can you elaborate on that a little bit what do you mean by the show kind of flew under the radar and it let you guys get away with more stuff uh, <laughs> if I tell you how we flew under the radar maybe I won't be able to do it again right I right I think you're I think you're at a point now Joe I think you're safe <laughs> Where, you know... Uh, I want to fly under the radar. <laughs> I don't like all this attention. Yeah. I think, I think people now want you to fly under the radar. That's why they're hiring you. Yeah, they want you to do that. I mean, you have to, you have to understand the whole situation and how it all came to be because it, uh, I was an independent filmmaker and Nickelodeon was just starting up with all of their Nicktoons and, and I, they hadn't yet to come out. So they asked me if I would be interested in doing 
a Nicktoons mm -hmm. uh, animated series, and I thought that was a ridiculous idea at first. And why, why do you think it was ridiculous? How come? Because I, I couldn't see my stuff on, on children's television. I mean, uh -huh. nothing had come out yet, so I, didn't, I wasn't looking at Rand Stampy saying, oh yeah, my stuff would, you know, I'd be sure. able to do that. But at the time, I think Nickelodeon was running Inspector Gadget and Strawberry Shortcake was on mm -hmm. the networks, and so you're like, do I want to be part of that party? Yeah. <laughs> I think I could find something more interesting than that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I said I said no at first, and um, yeah, you were reluctant to pitch specifically Rocco too, right? What, what's the backstory in that? He was in he was a character that was in a comic called Travis, is that right? And Zach and Travis. Zach and Travis, and you yes. you wanted to work on another idea and not the Rocco idea. Go tell us a little bit about. That. Well, they originally they came to me from a from a short that I did called My Dog Zero, and they said, yes. "Would you like to turn My Dog Zero into a series?" And I said, "I don't think it it goes." Deep deep enough to, to be a series. I couldn't see how we could carry on a conflict for that long. So, so I had this other idea with this character that was kind of this, the center of the universe, of his own universe, which is kind of, uh, well, the center of the hurricane is more like it. And, <laughs> and uh, life was evolving around him and, and uh, he was new to, to this world. So, um, so I went back into my, my archives of characters and found this comic strip that Almost got syndicated, but didn't quite make it. And I pulled out the Wallaby and, and uh, turned it into something that... Uh, it was a bit of a stretch from what he originally was. Yeah. But uh, it worked. Because I wanted something that was... He was kind of meek. He, was, he kept to himself. He was a good guy. And then he was surrounded by all this havoc. Is that why... This is a question as a fan... Which we all relate to, right? Yes, that's the point. We're a good person. It's just them. That's it. The carnival? Fine. The roller coaster? Okay. Oh, Rocco. But then the bungee jumping, the wall of death, flying over the Andes with the Brazilian soccer team. Oh, dear, Rocco. What? What is it? It's time. Time? What time? Time for me to go. Go? But we're having so much fun. I realize I've been a lot of trouble and caused you a lot of pain. But thanks for showing me a wonderful time. I'll miss you, Rocco. I'll miss you too, Pinky. <laughs> I love that I get to ask this question, and I think you kind of answered it. Why a wallaby? Because <laughs> I think we've seen, we're all familiar with, we're used to certain types of cartoon animals. We've seen rabbits and ducks and mice and different things. Why a wallaby? That's a pretty unique cartoon animal. Is that that sort of everyman quality that you were just describing? Okay, okay so you just put yourself into a category. Yeah. Because... I was just telling the people from Nickelodeon, the publicity department, which we have a whole committee here, hello, <laughs> um, that I used to go with one lone publicist to, to these kind of events when mm -hmm. I did Rocco. And we used to laugh because every time someone interviewed me, they would say, why a wallaby? a wallaby? Yeah. But they would always like, why pause a wallaby? <laughs> why a wallaby? Okay, so okay. I... Uh, <laughs> I have an answer to that question. I'm sure you do, because you've probably been asked it. Here's my pat answer to that yeah. question. No, um, I was in a zoo, and I saw a wallaby in this pen who was keeping to himself, and he was surrounded by monkeys, okay? And the monkeys were wreaking havoc and throwing their own things at whatever <laughs> who, people. And, and the wallabies was, was just trying to keep to himself, and the wallaby just kept looking around, just going, what? <laughs> I just want to be by myself. <laughs> and so I kind of took that, that whole idea of, of a wallaby being this, you know, 
I want my dog Spunky. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I wanted to have characters, you know, like, okay, how many characters have already been done in animation? You have all the Looney Tunes characters. Right. You can't do those. You can't, you know. Uh, so we had a, a wallaby and a, a turtle and a... A steer. A steer. A steer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> um, talk a little bit about why it was important for you because again, you look back on. I didn't answer your under the radar question. Say it again. Oh, you want to answer? You want to tackle the under the radar question? <laughs> <laughs> no. I, well, okay. So, I was getting to that part because uh, so when Red and Stimpy and Rugrats and Doug came out, there was this big splash, right? Yes. This is like everybody was talking about it. And so they were like the, the forefront of this wave, this new wave of animation. Yeah. And um, so everybody was focusing on that. And then I came in and nobody was paying attention to me. And we were actually like able to, the, the executives are really kind of focusing on all the media that was going on around these other things. And so, but they were also very, very uh, hands off in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, they, they put us in this little... I moved my studio from the Bay Area. Half of my crew came down to, to L.A., and we had this little... time. We were actually in the union building, <laughs> and we weren't union. And um, <laughs> I shouldn't put that on here, but <laughs> you can edit. Um, and we were just in our little place, just doing our thing, and nobody was paying any attention. <laughs> When did you know, oh my gosh, people are watching Rocco and they like it and they get it? Did you have a specific moment? I didn't really have that specific moment. Was that something that came later then? Is this meeting people coming to you? It's oh my happening gosh. now. It's happening right now. It's all of this. You created my childhood. Oh, all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is actually like a good example of when people first saw Rocco, yeah. they really did not know what, it, what to make of it. It really was, it was like, it's very strange to, to them. And, and, uh, my father like watched this thing and he goes, is this supposed to be for children? <laughs> and uh, at, at first, we started getting really good household numbers. They cool. call them household numbers of, of adults watching it with their kids. And so, and it really, we didn't have the, the social media then, we didn't have the internet, so we really didn't, the only, the only feedback we were starting to get were these letters that said, you know, how can you do this to my child? <laughs> So it, it was kind of a mixed thing. I saw the ratings. I yeah. could see they listed them in Hollywood Reporter, the top 10 cable shows, and we were in there a lot and, and uh, next to wrestling. And so we knew that the show was, was being watched, yeah. yeah. But uh, it's really not until after the show was over we were done production when social media started and everything, and the people started quoting quotes from the show. We start saying, yeah, well, yeah, we did that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was uh, strange. I remember that. What was your initial reaction to Nickelodeon calling you and saying, hey, do you want to do a, a TV special? Do you want to do some more Rocco? What was your initial reaction? Well, okay. I, I, we, we talked a little bit about this before, but I'm, doing, I'm in the middle of doing a, a show for PBS. Yeah, Luna Around the World. Luna Around the World. Which is set to premiere 2018. Is that yes. the, yeah, that's the thing? Yes, yeah. so we're in production. So I'm, I, I was in the middle of finishing up the pilot for that, mm -hmm. and, uh, which is taking my style and 
My goal is to make something that parents will still watch even though it's on PBS <laughs> and watch it with their kids and have something that also has a positive message. It's about these kids travel around the world and learn about other cultures and know that we're all together, that we, that we all you know, belonged on the same planet. We all need to get along. So it was something that I really believed in, so I'm doing it. So, but, so I'm in the middle of PBS land, and, and a call comes in from Chris, who's here, Chris Viscardi, and um, would you be interested in doing something, uh, doing some more Rocco? And it really, it was the farthest thing, like <laughs> the farthest thing, because the, anybody, there are a lot of people who used to write into me and they used to say, are there going to be more Roccos? I said, no, absolutely not. There's not going to be any more. It'd be a cold day in hell. We're not going to, we're not going to do it. And I can't imagine Nickelodeon really wanting to do it. I don't know. It was very strange. And so then somebody from Nickelodeon called you. And then, so, yeah. so many calls. And then at first I couldn't give them a yes or no. And, and uh, I said, I have to think about it. And, um, and I called Doug Lawrence and Martin Olson, who ended up writing on the show, and, and they were working on the original Rockos, and, and I said, do you think we should do this? Because we could really mess it up. You know, because we had this really great crew, this amazing crew. And, yeah. And could it be, you know, could it meet the standards of what we did and even improve on it? Or even, like, so they were very, very uh, enthusiastic about we can address things that are happening now. Yeah. You know, because we had a lot of social satire. There's a lot of things that are ripe right now for satire. And uh, we could have a good time with it. So, so I came up with a story, and uh, they liked it. And... Uh, that's awesome. It was. I, I give them a lot of credit for, for <laughs> trusting. It's <laughs> great. Because I didn't, it wasn't an easy uh, story to, to uh, pitch. To pitch. And, uh, but they've been very supportive. That's it's, awesome. It's, it's, it's been great. I want to ask you about the, the satirical nature of Rocco. Uh, a lot of people have, have looked back on that show and gone, that is ahead of its time. Why was it important for you to have that social commentary, that social satire, be uh, such an important aspect of the show? Because that's, that, was, that was me. I, you know, that was what I was feeling. I, I noticed that a lot of my projects that I was working on were this, this uh, autobiographical thing of somebody who... Because I've got this really warped imagination, and I always have this uh, impending doom feeling. Anybody ever have that? Um, Getting a couple nods, yes. Yeah, so everything is like larger than life. And, and uh, so when something happened badly, it happened badly. Like, yeah. Like big, huge. And things were good. They happened big, too. Everything was very exaggerated. So, yeah. um, so I figured, you know, I have this, this vehicle. They told me. Linda Siminski called me and she said, and when I said I didn't know if I wanted to do this, she goes, you can do whatever you want. And so I said, okay. So I thought to myself, if I could do anything on television, what would it be? And, and would I be able to say something? Because I wanted to say something with it and, and have some relevance to what people are going through. And, uh, and so I, I pitched this project and, I, you know, and they bought off on it. So it it really was all the episodes. There's so many episodes that are actually from things that happened to me in my own life. Yeah. And, and, uh, or the writers. Like, you know, I have no son. We had well, a lot of writers who had problems with their fathers, but the, the, the place they were going to go to in their life and they didn't agree with it. And, yeah. you know, there was, there was, you know, it's, just, it's real life. It's artists, yeah. S stuff happening. So <laughs> it was very easy for us to write. And, and, uh, 
And a lot of people seem to connect by that. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's all this new stuff now that everybody is... Oh, my gosh. The Internet's happened since then. Connecting with. I want to see those characters, the, <laughs> the denizens of O-Town deal with a modern world. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Uh, I want to ask you as a creator, um, uh, what is your point of view on the balance between making cartoons kid-friendly and including jokes that only adults might get? Yeah, it helps that I have a three-year-old and a four-month-old growing up in, in addition to my teenage daughters. <laughs> so uh, I've kind of got both worlds going. But um, to me and Rocco, it was, it was how, how is this animation and these sight gags going to play for a younger audience? Yeah, and if we do something that's a little wink to the parents or to the adults, how are we going to do that so that a kid will go, "What was that?" <laughs> I don't really care because I'm laughing. So yeah. that was that was the balance, and then we had to pull back on some things and not make them so obvious. <laughs> and um, it's it's hard to talk about because that's what everybody seems to want to focus on is like, how'd you get away with this stuff? Sure. And it really was something that I went into it with the intention that I want parents to watch. TV with their kids. I don't. I don't want it to be a babysitter. Yeah. I don't want. I don't want the animation to be something that. And it's not just for kids. And and so I was doing my my independent animation for both adults and kids. And so it just transferred over. And so so we just tried to to. Sometimes we went over the line. Sure. Yeah. If you're not pushing it, you're not. You know. Doing a good job. Yeah. But there wasn't like a secret formula or anything. It was like a case by case, you know, you guys were telling a story and and yeah. Absolutely. And it had to be part of the story. It could right. just be this gag we're gonna throw this gag in there for as a wink and a nod. Right, right. You know. Because it would detract. It actually would say <laughs> something usually. Apples <laughs> uh, of the future always have something to say. It's true. They weren't just there because it's funny. It was, it was part of the story. It was great. <laughs> There's no talking me out of it, big man. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna drop the big one. Just calm down and think about what you're doing here. Think about what? I'm a pigeon for corn's sake. I got nothing else to live for. Just gaze into my nipples of the future and you'll see that you're wrong. <laughs> Strikes and tickets, front row. Uh, Joe, I want to ask you about some of your creative influences when you were young. You've talked about your high school art teacher, Mark Briggs. What what kind of an impact? Yes, I've done my homework, sir. Yeah, that's right. What kind of an impact did uh, did Mark Briggs have on you, and what other kind of creative influences did you have growing up? Yeah, so uh, I grew up loving cartoons, and I watched them, and I also worked. I was a big comic strip fan. So cartoons were what I wanted to go into uh, from a very early age, and so I started doing them over and over with... Uh, I had my own newspaper when I was 12, actually, because I kept sending cartoons to the other newspapers and they weren't publishing them. <laughs> so I published my own newspaper. So it was uh, just getting immersed into that whole world. So I actually did, when I was 16, get a job doing a... Uh, political cartoons for a newspaper in San Jose. And I got my first job drawing caricatures at an amusement park, but I was drawing, so that's cool. So this teacher, Mark Briggs, who I'm still in contact with, he's 95 years old. Wow. Um, great man. And he took me under his wing, and he started introducing me to, like, we had this this club that we went to, there were Charles Schultz was there, and all these different cartoonists were there, and you rub shoulders with them, and he's... You, That's amazing. Uh, you learn the business, and and they would look at my stuff and say, "It's pretty good, kid." So at 16, you were rubbing shoulders with Charles Schultz. Yeah. yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. I still have a little Snoopy he drew for me. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> so, so yeah, he was very influential, and and uh, he really his whole motto was, "Our oh, life and art is not a job; it's a career, and it's a way of life." I think what I'm totally like misquoting him. <laughs> He would like kill me if he knew, <laughs> but it's uh, it's a way of life, which it turned out to be. Like, yeah, you don't you don't you don't go into art. I don't know if any of you are here are like considering a life in art, but it's not the easiest path. But sometimes it's the only path you can take. Yeah, and because you feel like I, this is all I'm I'm meant to do. And my dad said no. <laughs> Being computers, that's the wave of the future. Well, he was right, but well, he was right for you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was accurate, but that's... I'm st we're all still glad that you did not do that, Joe. Thank you. So, son, how is school today? I quit school two years ago. What? Oh, you're a loser. Why can't you be more like Heifer? What, a 600-pound cow? He's not a cow! He's a steer! Stop it! Virginia, that kid is turning my hair white! Oh, don't be silly, dear. That's a toupee. So can you tell us uh, where the idea for Camp Laszlo came from? Uh, so Camp Laszlo was, uh, I was a scout, and uh, we, have, we had this uh, area where we would go camping called Lake Tahoe. I don't know if anybody's familiar with it. <laughs> um, and that's what Leaky Lake was, was based on. Yeah. So, so, the, so everybody who's in my shows, from Heifer to Filbert to, to Raj to Clam, are all based on people that I know. <laughs> These were actually my friends, yeah. Yeah. In Scouts. That's great. Growing up. But I'm not so much as like, like Laszlo as, as I was like Rocco. Laszlo is way too optimistic mm -hmm. for me to be like Laszlo. Yeah. You're just like, just, just, I just want my yeah. spunky. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> my spunky back. Joe, what's the di what was the difference working on a sort of a longer format uh, version of a story versus the twenty minute, twenty two minute regular kind of episodic thing? Was that a, what kind of challenges did you guys face when you did that? Yeah, well, you know, it's just like working on this Rocka special. There's a lot more you can do with the, yeah. with the story. We can really get in deep with with the characters where they're going. I mean, there's just an art form to the eleven minute, and there's an art form to the to the. It's a story, but it's all about story. So if you yeah. can, it is a challenge to keep a story. Interesting for for that for, for an long, hour yeah for an hour exactly yeah so I hope we did it yeah <laughs> with the Soraka special well, but I feel like we did it with the Lasso special yeah and that was actually like it was kind of funny because they would canceled our show mm -hmm. bastards and then uh, <laughs> so they canceled the show and and then they came to us and and it was our crew was getting dwindled down to a few people. It was just Mark O'Hare, who was my co-producer, who actually worked on Rocco also. Mm -hmm. He was my co-producer on, on Laszlo. And then they came to us and said, would you guys like to do an hour special? It's like, we have no people left. <laughs> and, they, and, they, and then Mark and I was like, what if we just boarded it and wrote it, just the two of us? And so we're like, eh. Yeah, no. That's a ton of work. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a labor of love. That's and, awesome. Yeah. So, we had a good time. That's incredible. It was, it was really weird. Yeah. It was, it's, I don't know if any of you check it out. It's, it's, we had a good time doing it. It kind of gives a backstory of Laszlo and, and uh, where he went, and, and, and it won an Emmy, primetime Emmy. That's amazing. Well, that's great. Yeah, so we were very happy with it. Very cool. But it was just us going up on stage, because there was nobody left. Yeah. No, I brought my daughter on stage. That's right. My daughter, Daisy, I brought on stage, because I wouldn't leave her with executives. <laughs> sitting there. <laughs> 
Speaking of a labor of love, Joe, what made you decide to write the book you mentioned earlier about animation, creating animated cartoons with character? Where did the idea for that book come from? That came from after Laszlo, I had a blog, mm -hmm. and people would continually write to me asking me questions about how to create a show and, and how to get at characters who worked within an environment of where you can constantly have new stories to tell. And so I started answering a lot of these questions, and you know my blog traffic was up, so I decided to do an online book, and uh, it sold really well. And then Random House said, why don't we publish it? That's awesome. Yeah. So I feel like, so then I got like some friends, like Steve Hillenberg and, and, and Craig McCracken and Everett Peck and Tom Kenny, and they all came on and did chapters in it. And, uh, and, and so it turned out, it turned out, I was really happy with it. That's great. So, yeah, it comes, you know, I mean, it's like the, the, the whole thing of series, it, right now, a series is available to so many different people, and yeah. it's not. It wasn't like that when I first got into. It. I wish I had a book to to tell me about how to do a series, but I didn't. Yeah. But um, and Steve Hillenberg said the same thing. He's just like, I wish, <laughs> I wish I had something to go by. But um, <laughs> so now with the internet and with all the, you know, you've got Netflix, you've got Amazon, you've got Hulu, you've got all these places, and and Nickelodeon and. Cartoon Network, and, mm -hmm. you know, they're looking for content, they're looking for the next big thing, they're, you know, the creator. How do you go into it without being blind to, to what the process is? And, yeah. And, and what the network is looking for and what you need, how you need to keep your sanity. I wish I had a book to tell yeah. me how to keep my sanity <laughs> because it did a number on me. I, I don't That's know. so helpful. That's great. What has yeah. the response been like from readers, from people in the in, in the animation industry? What's the response? No, been it's been it's yeah. been very positive. Yeah. Very cool. No, I was looking for I, everybody laughed at my crew the other day because I was walking around going, "Does anybody have my book? <laughs> I, I need to look something up. I have something that I need to." Look. <laughs> so you really did it for yourself, just as a place to keep all of your information in one spot, and then you can reference it. And <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> just because I have Alzheimer's. No. <laughs> I have to put it down. I have to write, write this down before you're too old. What is something you'd like to see in the future of animation? Whether it's a specific type of content, uh, a type of demographic that's targeted to, uh, what are some of your thoughts on that? The only thing I see in regard to a good animated project is yeah. to have a clear vision from a creative person who who has something to say. And I, and I really think that any time within any type of a television project or a film project, you know, whether it's CG, whether it's 2D, whether it's, you know, stop motion, all those factors have to come in because what I, what I don't like seeing is a committee coming in and making some project. And there's too many situations where I can tell when there's too many hands in the pot and, yeah. and there's too much and there's not enough of the vision coming through of, of who, who is making this. And, and for them to be able to have something to say is really important to me. It's like, was, is this talking to me at all? Yeah, who's talking to me? What are they? Who's saying? talking yeah. to me? What are they saying? Yeah. And and uh, that's my goal. That that's my vision. What I think, you know, as far as entertainment, there's lots of a lot of projects that are doing that. Yeah, I'm hoping that like when we when as as these other places are opening up for for somebody's vision to come out, that that's you know they're given a little bit more hands off. I mean, the scary thing is a lot of times is that we know 
right away whether something's clicking. You know, yeah. with the internet, you know, like especially if it's on Netflix or something, they know where it's going to go ratings wise. Probably, that's not a good thing because sometimes it takes some time for like SpongeBob didn't start kicking off until its second season. Come on, yeah, absolutely, or like thirds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so sometimes you need to really get a feel, especially if something is like people looking at it and saying, "I really don't know what this is, but I like it." People also need to like be open to something that's different. You know, there's too much formula in a can going on where they say this. Yeah. You know, this was popular, so let's do it like that. So when you do see something new, give it a shot, give it a chance, and be open to it. You yeah. know, that it's it's uh, somebody trying to do something differently. Do you think that again, just comparing to the era that you guys were doing Rocco, and Rocco was an anomaly even then, even then in the early '90s, late '80s, early '90s. Do you think that as a whole, right now, the industry is getting better or worse? It's more committee, less committee. That they're taking more chances. Where do you kind of see it right now? Do you think it could get better if you feel like it's not really in a great place right now? I think it could get better. Okay. Yeah, I'll go on a limb. Yeah. And say. <laughs> cool. Get better. That positive. You can always get better. Absolutely. No, I can. It can. Absolutely. There. Yeah. I mean, there's pockets here and there of things that are. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When but it, it's always. Yeah. I'm always. I'm always a gunning for the vision to, to break through. Well, uh, can't wait to see the rest of your new stuff. And uh, big thanks and big round of applause for Joe Murray. Everybody, come on, give it up. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Joe. Really appreciate it. Wow, so that was so cool, you guys. We did a live episode of the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. First of all, big thanks to Entertainment Weekly Pop Fest for having us, and an even bigger thanks to Mr. Joe Murray himself for coming in and sharing some stories. We're so looking forward to new Rocco's Modern Life. It's going to be awesome. Guys, be sure to head over to nickanimationpodcast.com for a bunch of fun, extra crazy stuff. Continue liking and subscribing and sharing the podcast wherever you're getting your podcast from. And if you want to leave us a comment, that really helps us out as well. Thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together. Together, this podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana Vasquez Eberhardt, Kelly Smith, Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures. This week's episode edited by Jonathan Highlander. All of the incredible social media for our podcast is made by Narbe Manassians, Sammy Armiger, David Watson. And thanks to the man who works at controls and makes me sound better than I have a right to, Manny Gralva. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast and keep watching cartoons. Cartoons.